looking at the doctrine of the Trinity again. On the back chair, if I can get someone who can help, I have some handouts that you can use to help follow along here tonight. We're going to be looking at the first chapter of John's Gospel in the coming weeks as we look at the doctrine of the Trinity. Sometimes when we look at the at these different doctrines and different sermons, we take large swaths of text. Sometimes we deal with a topic and we go to many different texts. And tonight we're going to look at one verse. And it's not a very long verse. But we're going to look at one verse, John 1, verse number 1. Now tonight as we look at John 1, 1, and just spend our evening meditating on this verse and its meaning. Uh, There's going to be portions of the sermon tonight that are going to perhaps be more technical than when we're used to hearing. And uh, we have to remember the reason why we're getting into such technicalities when we look at a particular text of Scripture, a particular verse, a phrase, and why we get into such detail and technicalities when we talk about the Trinities because there are errors on both sides of understanding who God is. We understand to know God is eternal life. And to not know God is to not have eternal life. And so we, we can know God, but if we, if we veer to the left or to the right, there's heresies on both sides. Okay, There's ditches on both sides of this road we're trying to travel on as we understand God. So let's not think that tonight is just some academic exercise. We're not in the classroom. We're not here just to, to study God as if he's just this abstract object. We're here to know God, to avoid errors that those have, have that, that come up in the past in church history and to understand exactly what John, the evangelist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has written here in his first chapter so that we would know who Christ is. And again, he's writing his gospel so we might know Christ and that by believing in him, we'd have life in his name. So he writes this so that we might know who God is and have eternal life. Now, before we look at John chapter 1, Last time we were together talking about the Trinity, we talked about three foundational truths that the scriptures teach about who God is. The first one was that there's only one God. And if you have your handout there, you can fill in those blanks. Okay, the first foundational truth we, by way of review, there is only one God. We also looked at scriptures that show that the Father is divine. The Father is God. The Son is divine. The Spirit is divine. Okay. And the third truth, the Father and Son and Spirit are not the same. Okay, There's distinctions between Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, what does that mean exactly? How can three be one? How can there be distinctions and yet unity? And so we're going to begin to understand a little bit what the Scriptures teach about the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, tonight we're going to be focusing on John 1. I just wanted to give you a definition. This is from James White's book called The Forgotten Trinity. And he says this, within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Perhaps you've heard a definition like that or very similar to that before. Okay? And so what I want to show you tonight by looking at John chapter 1 is that the doctrine of the Trinity is not some abstract theological construct that... We've taken a little bit from over there and we've taken a little bit from over there and we've read between the lines over here and now we've cobbled together this doctrine. We're going to show you, 
I'm going to show you in John's Gospel how it's laid out so clearly in this first chapter, this introduction, really, to the Gospel of John. If your Bible's open to John chapter 1, if not, you want to open those up. Um, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't want to open it up, it's also, I notice it's on the handout, and so we have it right there in front of you. Let me read the text of Scripture, starting in John chapter 1, verse 1. The Word of God says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. Okay, now tonight we're going to look at the very first verse in that prologue. We're going to look at other verses in coming weeks, but tonight we're just going to look at that first verse. Now, as John writes this beginning of the gospel, as we were to read it and pretend we were to read it for the very first time, when he begins to talk about the word, we'd be wondering, who is this word? What is this word that he's talking about? And the point of these first 18 verses is to get us to ask and to answer, who is the word? Now, why does he use the term word? He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What's the significance of him using this term, the word? Okay, the Greeks, if you read this verse in Greek, the word word comes from the Greek word logos. And so the Greeks, this is a regular term. If you look up this in a Greek dictionary, you would see statement, message, word, saying. Okay, this is the normal use of the word logos. Okay, it appears hundreds of times in the New Testament. And at the same time, the Greeks would use logos as a term in philosophy. Okay, we know the Greeks loved philosophy. Especially when Paul went to Athens and all these Athenian philosophers, they just loved to debate about these things uh, beyond the physical realm. And so they would use this term logos to describe this impersonal force that was responsible for all life as we know it, that, that made this world and sustains it. And so they would just 
they didn't know what this was, but they just called it the Logos. And that was in part of their philosophy books, this Logos. And so John here begins his gospel by talking about the Logos. And not that it's an impersonal force, but rather, this is Jesus Christ. He gets down to verse 17, where he tells us exactly who the word is. Okay, it's not a surprise to us. He's talking here about Jesus. Okay? So what John is saying, just like Paul did in Athens, he's walking by and he sees this statue to the unknown God. And he says, what you say is unknown, I'm saying to you, this God that you don't know, he's actually the creator. And he has sent his son and Jesus Christ has died and he's risen again and Christ is going to come back and judge the living and the dead. And you're all commanded to repent and to believe in Christ. Okay, that's how Paul explained it to these Athenian philosophers. Now here, John is also, just like it said to the unknown God, he's saying, here's this logos that you have this concept of God. But rather, let me tell you more rightly who this person is. It's not just a force. This is Jesus Christ. And so he says in the very first verse in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, in your handout, there's a few things that we're going to learn about the word from the very first verse. Okay. On page number two, the top of the page, the word is eternal. The word is eternal. Okay, a few things about the word that John tells us here in the very first verse is that, number one, the word is eternal. He says, as he opens the gospel, in the beginning was the word. Okay, now that simple little word was is significant. He uses a term later on when he talks about became or created. He uses a different verb when he describes those terms. When he talks about the logos, he talks about the word. He just says the word was. Okay, in the beginning was the word. It sounds like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Here he says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. That is, the word is eternal. When you go back all the way to the beginning, well, the word was there. If you could go before the beginning, if that was the impossible, we can't even think outside of time, but if you go before the beginning, well, the word was there. There never was a time when the word didn't exist. The word is always there, always existing. And so here we see John referred to the word as eternal, always existing. He simply is. It's like the phrase for God. God, Moses says, God, who do, who do you say that I am? What can I tell the people who you are? I am that I am. In other words, I, I, I am. I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the is one. I'm being. Uh, there's no other way to describe who God is. And Christ is the same. Jesus simply was in the beginning. The second thing we see from this text, okay? In the beginning was the word. The second phrase in verse number one. When it says, and the word was with God, we see the word is relational. The word is relational. This is so important because the logos here that John is describing is not some impersonal force. But rather the word is relational. Okay, the word was not alone in eternity past, but the word was in eternity with God. Okay, we have the same word here for was being used again. The word did not come to be with God. 
uh, it wasn't as if the God was God was there and then the Word came later and was with God and this happened before the creation of the world. No, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. This is an eternal state of affairs. Having God and Logos together for all of eternity. Okay? And then he uses this phrase when it says, and the Word was with God. Now, to impress your friends, we have some of those phrases written on the paper there in Greek um, and some trying to attempt to some pronunciation on, on the right, the second set of parentheses. But he says here that the word was with God. In Greek, it's proston theon. And that same phrase is used in places like Romans 5.1, where it says this in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. In 1 John 3.21, the same phrase is used and says we have confidence before God. This phrase, prostantheon, is describing a relationship, describing personality. This is not something that a force can have. Okay? And so this, this phrase is so meaningful to speak of the personality of the Logos and to speak about this eternal relationship between God and the Word. Now, it's at this point when our questions begin to raise, and, and perhaps we may not utter them, we might feel irreverent to utter them, I, I, I'm not sure, sure if I should be asking this question, but we have a question like this, what does it mean then, are there two eternal beings? Was there God and the Logos? How, how can, the only thing that is eternal is God himself, the only thing that has a being in himself is God, so how can there be God and the Logos? How can they be with one another? And so we obviously see that there is a distinguishing between the Word and God. And we also recognize here that no Jew would ever teach or understand two eternal beings. Jews were strictly monotheistic. One God, one Creator. And so what is going on here? Well, we're going to keep going before we answer some of those questions. Let's look at the third thing about the Word. Okay, the bottom of page two. We're going to see that the word is divine. Okay, the word is divine. The third phrase in John 1, chapter, verse 1, says, And the word was God. Okay, in Greek it's kai theos ein halagos. The word was God. Okay, and we're going to get into uh, some technicalities in a bit because people twist this verse in particular, and especially this last phrase in this verse. Okay? Now, when we look at the second phrase, we say the, the word was with God, we begin to think, well, is there, is there two gods that John is talking about? But then in the third phrase, he corrects us and says, no, monotheism is true, and the word was God. And it doesn't necessarily help us. Okay, he's, he's avoiding the heresy of polytheism, and he's affirming monotheism, that the word was God. But what does it mean then that the Word was with God and the Word was God? How do we make sense of that and not just be speaking, doublespeak, or contradicting ourselves? Because this is not a contradiction. How can the Word be with God and the Word be God? How can that be? How can the Word be with Himself? It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Now, when we look at this verse, there's three different possibilities that we have on pages 2, 3, and 4. 
where people in different times have understood this verse to try to understand what exactly John is talking about. Okay, to understand this little enigmatic phrase and the word was God. Okay, the first one is on the bottom of page number two. Okay, the first one, and if you have a new world translation or look this up on the internet, or perhaps if you have a Jehovah's Witnesses come to his door and you say, I know a perfect verse for you, turn to John 1, 1, and then you read it and it's like, that's not what it says. Okay, because in their translation, this third phrase of John 1, 1, instead of saying, and the word was God, it says, the word was a God. Okay, so that was translated that way for the Jehovah's Witnesses back in the 50s. It's still in their current translation. They just revised in 2013 and it's still translated this way. And the word was a God. Okay, now we have to ask them, why would they translate it that way? Why would they do that? Uh, what, what are the reasons? What's the warrant that they would translate that third phrase of John and the word was a God? Well, if you look just above, uh, just below point number three, where it says the word is um, divine, and you see the phrase in English, and the word was God, okay? And right beside that in the first parentheses, you see the phrase in Greek, okay? And it says chi, which is Greek for and, okay? Chi theos, and God, ain, that's the little word for was, halagos, the word, Okay, and so they say, well, look, right in front of Theos, there is no article, no, no Greek. Uh, the article is that little O with a little squiggly on top of it. That's the word we normally translate the, okay, like our, our article that we have in English. And they say, because there's no article in front of Theos, it's not the God, it's just a God. Okay, and in Greek, uh, in English, we always speak with the subject first. We say the word was God. But in Greek, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so here, halagos, at the end of the phrase, is actually the subject. So in English, we bring it to the front and we say, and the word was God. Okay? So try, try to stay with me here because we're getting into, Raquel's got the look on her face. We're getting into some technicalities here. But this is why they would say, if you were to speak to them on the street, so often why they would say, it is right for us to translate and the word was a God because there is no little O in front of theos. There's no, the word the there. And so if John wanted to say that the word was God, he would put the little O in front of theos. You know, the word was the God. What God? The God that he just talked about in, in the first part of that verse. Okay? So if he wanted to write inequality, he would write it that way. And because there's no article there, then we should translate it a God. Okay? It sounds easy enough, and many people think, well, that looks pretty easy to me. Uh, But if you look on page number three, there's two reasons that I want to share with you why this can't be a valid translation. Okay? So you understand what's going on here? No little word that can be translated the in front of God, and so if you don't put a the in front of God, you just put a letter A for a God. So why this can't be? Number one, on top of page three, theologically. Okay, theologically. Here's the reason why this can't be theologically. If the word was a God, then we have two gods. Okay, we think about it. If the word was a God, we have this class, 
this, this being called, called God, and we have more than one of them. Okay, we have, we have God who's a God, and we have the, the Logos who's a God. And so here, the Jehovah's Witnesses, in attempting to deny the Trinity, actually affirm polytheism. Because now we have two gods. We have at least, at least two gods. Because we have God is a God, and we have the Logos is a God. And it's not that one is a true God and one is a false God. You know, we, we, can, we, we can read in Paul's letters where he talks, and he uses the same word theos, talk about false gods. These idols aren't real gods, okay? But there's only one true God. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't teach that Jesus was a false god, but rather, they, in their translation, affirm that God is God, or the Father is God, and that Jesus is a God, okay? So they introduce polytheism, which would be unthinkable for John, unthinkable for the Jews, and denounced and repudiated by Christians. Okay, that's the first reason. Second reason, grammatically. Grammatically, it is possible to translate the verse this way, as they translate it. Grammatically, it is possible to translate it the way that the Jehovah's Witnesses have translated it. But I have a table there to show you different verses, all in the first 18 verses of John, that have that same word, theos, which means God, without the article in front, okay? So look at the first row in that table. So John 1, 1, C. That's the third phrase in John 1, 1. Okay, you see that? The second column says NWT 2013. That's the New World Translation, their latest version. And this is how they translate that phrase. And the word was a God. In Greek, you see the column there, Kai Theos, Ein Halagos. And then in the ESV, it translates it, and the word was God. Okay? Now look at John 1 6, the next row. The New World Translation translates it this way There came a man who was sent who, who was sent as a representative of God. And so here they translate God, not as a God, but as big G God, as God. But as you look in the Greek, there is no um, little O in front of Theu, okay, or Theos. There's no article there, but yet they translate it God, just like the ESV does. Look at John 1.12. The New World Translation says he gave authority to become God's children, not a God. But if you look in the Greek, there is no, no article in front of the word for God in front of Theu. Same as the ESV, they translate it the same. John 1.13, they also translate God correctly, but from God. There is no the there in the Greek, no article, but they don't put an A, from a God. They say from God, that is the God, the God, the only God. John 1.18, first part of John 18, no man has seen God at any time. There's no article in front of the word for God, yet they translate it correctly, just like they do in the ESV. And then John 1.18b, they translate it, the only begotten God, little g, who is at the Father's side is the one who has explained him. And the same term there, theos, again, without the article. And instead of putting in a God, they just lowercase it to little g, God. Now, I hope that as you see through this, and as you look at the Greek word for God, none of these instances have the article in front of it. If this verse in the New World Translation refers to Jesus as God, they make it a God and put a lower g on it. If it's referring clearly to the Father, they leave it with a big G. 
You can see it's not a product of Greek grammar that they are making their translation. It is a prior assumption that the Trinity is false and that Jesus Christ is not God in human flesh. And so they translate it very particularly rather than being so consistent as you see in the ESV on the right-hand column. Every single time God's name, God's the, the word for God is mentioned, it's translated the same each and every time. Just below the table, I have a note. Okay, just to throw some more um, details at you in case you're wondering. I spoke to someone recently, a Jehovah's Witness, who are pointing to the differences in spelling as to why they would translate God a certain way. If you notice in the John 1, 1, C, the very first row of that table, when the when New World Translate, tra- New World Translation translates the verse and says, and the word was a God. And the Greek word for God there is theos. Now, as I've bolded the other words for God, we see it spelled theu, 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 theon, and theos again. And so some even argue today that, well, because the spelling is different, that's why we translate God in a different manner. But really, it's really showing an ignorance of the Greek language. Greek language is an inflected language. If you speak another language besides English, you know, uh, when you have either a masculine or feminine, it changes the spelling of the word. In Greek, whether a word is the subject or the object or um, a participle or a plural, all of these things change the spelling of that particular word. But it's the same, it's the same word. Okay, so the spelling here is not important to, is it talking about big G God or a little g God? In fact, F.S. Bruce states this and I have this quote written on your page. He says, those people who emphasize that the true rendering of the last clause of John 1.1 is the word was a God, prove nothing thereby save their ignorance of Greek grammar. Okay? So why then does theos not have the article? Okay? So again, we're, we're, getting, we're moving towards a point, getting to details. I'm not just trying to uh, throw these details out and so we can have something to try to hand to the Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to our door. Now, we're, go- we're, we're moving towards a point in all of this. Okay, the question we're asking now is, why then did John write it this way? Why did he not put the article in front of the word theos? Okay, because if John wanted to say that the word was exactly equal with God, he could have said, and put the article in there and said, kai ha theos ein halagos. That is, and the word was the God, or the word was the God that has just been referred to in this previous passage. Okay? That would have made the word and God completely equal. Now, the bottom of page two, the second point we're moving to in terms of uh, a potential interpretation of this phrase, okay, is that God equals the word and the word equals God. Okay, so we looked at the Jehovah's Witness understanding of this passage, that the Logos, the word was simply a God. We see that introduces polytheism and grammatically it's not consistent even with their own translation. Now the second thing we're going to look at is the word being exactly equal with God and God being equal with the word. That is, there's identity between the word and God. Okay? Now, if there is identity between the Word and between God, then we have a contradiction. 
we have a contradiction. Because how can I say, if I give this for an example, and I say this book is the Bible. Okay, you can nod and agree. I'm not tricking you. And if I say um, the Bible is this book. Okay, and we can agree to that. The Bible and book are referring to the same thing. Um, now, if I said to you, okay, this is the Bible, this is the book, you would agree, those two things. And if I said to you, the Bible is with the book, you'd go, huh? That's making any sense. You said it was the Bible. You said it was a book. And those things are equal. You can't say that the Bible is with the book because its identity is only one. How can you say the Bible is with the book? And so, if John is saying here that the Logos is exactly equal with God and God is exactly equal with the Logos, as, as all the Logos is the same as all of God, or all of God is the same as all the Logos, and that God is with the Logos, we have a contradiction. And so if John would have wrote, as the Jehovah's Witnesses try to argue, if John would have wrote, Kai Ha Theos, that is the God, okay, given that article in there, Ain Halagos, he would have been affirming a contradiction. And that's not what he's teaching here. Okay? This is why it's important that he did not put in the article. Okay? So hopefully you're, you're still tracking with me. If not, we're going to... Hopefully this third point will help clear it up. On, the, on page four, turn over to page four. We're going to look at the third possibility of what this verse means. Okay? This verse means it wasn't that the word was a God. It wasn't that... The word and the law or the word and God are completely equal. You know, it's interchangeable, okay? Because the word was with God. Now, for our third possibility, what we have is the word was God, as it's translated, and you can fill in there in quality or essence, in quality or essence. Okay, so you're probably wondering why we're getting into all this detail and what the point is, and we're going to get here shortly. Okay? The only way, and here, here's the point of getting into all these details and having the Greek on the page. The only way that John could have stated the doctrine of the Trinity, that we have an eternally existing being in three persons, Father Divine, Son divine and spirit divine. The only way that he could say that is through the Greek construction that he give, that he gave, being the word was with God and the word was God. But the way that, he, they, that way they express that in Greek is so much full than we can understand here in English. What he's getting at is that the word was in essence or quality, or nature, God. Okay? Now, I have written down right underneath point number three on the back of page number four. Grammatically, and sparing the lengthy details, a construction like this, okay, where you have a term like theos with the um, verb here, ain or was, and then followed by the subject. A construction like this is normally understood qualitatively. That is, and the word was with God, or the, sorry, and the word was God is understood to mean the word was in nature God. It's not talking about an identity here. They both would have the article of its identity, but rather he's talking about the word was in nature God. That is, the word shares the nature of being 
of God. Okay, same. Uh, they share the same essence. The New English Bible translates the phrase this way, trying to bring home its force in English. And it says, what God was, the word was. And Kenneth West, uh, another Greek grammatician says, and the word was as to his essence, absolute deity. Okay, so when John is expressing this word, he's being so precise with the Greek language that even that little small O, if it was in the, in the wrong place or if the word order was in the wrong way, he'd be slipping into polytheism on one hand or he'd be denying monotheism on the other hand or he would be affirming all these other heresies that we've seen throughout the time, time. But rather, with this phrase, he's being so detailed in the Greek language that he's conveying the doctrine of the Trinity. That in the beginning, Father and Son sharing the being of God, yet there are distinctions there. And so he says so without contradicting himself and without affirming polytheism. One question we have to ask ourselves is why don't translators then give it this fuller translation and just leave it and the word was God? Daniel Wallace, another Greek expert, says, although I believe theos in the last part of verse 1 is qualitative. That's what we've just talked about. I think the simplest and most straightforward translation is, and the word was God. It may be better to clearly affirm the New Testament teaching of the deity of Christ and then explain that he is not the Father than to sound ambiguous on his deity and explain that he is God but is not the Father. And this is a, a simple case where the English language is just not at the task of expressing what we have so clearly in Greek. Okay, so what is the bottom line then? What is I want you to take? Because we're going to forget all of these details after we leave here tonight. The bottom line is that John is trying to drive us to the focus on who the word is. And he's being so very precise so that we would understand the deity of the son. Understand that Jesus Christ is divine, but yet without affirming two gods. Or more than two gods. He's trying to communicate to us this doctrine of the Trinity that we defined when we first started tonight. That God exists in one being, yet that one being exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons. Sharing the very essence and nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is the only way that John could have shared, stated such a thing. And he states it precisely this way, walking that line between contradiction and heresy. Okay, we're going to end here tonight. We're going to continue on the rest of the prologue next week. It won't be as detailed as we got into tonight. But we have to remember why we're looking at these details so closely. John writes this, not that we get lost in some of the grammar or the syntax for John is writing this so we understand who the Word is and consider the glory of the Word. The Word is eternal. The Word is relational. The Word is personal. And the Word is God, sharing the essence and nature, character, and attributes of God. And John says, and, and, and he came and he dwelt among us and we saw his glory. And look at the things that he did and he said and... He came to give his life so that we might have life. So he's trying here to give us an exalted view of who Jesus Christ is. And yes, we're going to scratch our heads when we think about the doctrine of Trinity and the doctrine of Christ. And we should scratch our heads. This is God. 
He is beyond our ability to, to fully grasp and understand and comprehend. Yet we can marvel at the precision of the Gospels and how exacting and how they understood Jesus Christ to be God of very God, the Son of God who came, took on flesh, and died on that cross. So central to the Gospel is the doctrine of the Trinity. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that we can be gathered here tonight. And I just do pray, God, as we've talked about a lot of details, and yet much was left unsaid. It's hard to convey some of the nuances here of the language. I just do pray that as we think about this truth, we'd understand that other translations of the word that attempt to deny the deity of Christ are doing injustice to the text. And I pray you'd also help us not to fall into the trap of thinking this is a contradiction, but rather to see the beauty of the language here, stating that our Lord Jesus Christ, as the eternal Son forever was, was with you, Father, from the very beginning, and Father, Son, and Spirit sharing the same essence, the same nature, quality, being divine. And God, our minds have such difficulty trying to grasp these truths. But I pray that we understand that because of your triunity, that you are a loving and merciful God. And because of your triunity, the gospel is possible. And so we thank you for who you are. And I pray that we would grow to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.